the coach that Tina had in supporting her gave a huge contribution to her existence. And that continues today. The coaches that are coaching young kids today have a huge impact on where our kids go. Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, author Natalie Corbett-Sampson. Somebody once observed that only children and fools expect life to be fair. That said, a young person's gut feeling that something isn't fair can be a powerful motivator to fight and to fix what's wrong in a world run by adults. Natalie Corbett Sampson's latest book, No Girls Allowed, is based on the true story of one young person in Atlantic Canada who fought for her right to play hockey and in the process learned a lot about the adult world that until she came along was just fine with the status quo. Natalie, welcome to Book Me. Hi, thank you for having me. Your protagonist is Tina Forbes, uh, spells her first name with an I, but it's based on the story of Tina Forbes spelled with an E. Yes, that's right. Why? What's the story behind that? Uh, actually, I, I had an opportunity to meet Tina, which was great, um, and talk with her about her story. And she just told me that um, after the story took place, she ended up in a class with another Tina and changed her name just to be different from the other Tina. It's something as simple, simple as that. And it stuck. She was trying to help the teacher, I can tell. Tina's uh, family in the book moves from Ontario to Yarmouth in 1977 when she's 10 years old. And all she wants to do is play hockey. She's obsessed with playing hockey. What did she expect to happen when she moved to Yarmouth? Well, she expected to be able to sign up and, and play. Um, I think the, the associations in Ontario where she had been um, were big enough that they had girls' teams, and she didn't foresee that being a problem. Um, and she moved to Yarmouth, and when she tried to sign up, there was no girls' team, and they just said no. She was waiting to be the right age, didn't think that there were other... Uh, obstacles in her way. Could you read to us the part where Tina finds out things aren't going as she planned? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Um, the, her dad and, and her go to the bank. The local bank is where the registrar was um, registering the hockey uh, players. Um, so she's she's entered the bank. We'll be happy to have JR. Our peewee team is a great group of boys. Mr. Hickman switches the bottom page, mine, to the top. And who do we have here? His eyes move back and forth over the top of the page and then look up at Dad and back at the, to the page. This name, Tina, is that a girl? Dad smiles at him, puts his hand out to rest on my shoulder. Yes, Tina, my daughter here. She's very excited to play. It's been tough for her to wait until she's old enough. Mr. Heckman looks at me, but it takes a moment before he smiles. His smile looks kind of like when JR is waiting for Mom to put rubbing alcohol on a scraped knee and he is trying to be brave. I'm afraid we don't have enough girls for a girls' team. We tried a couple years ago and only had six girls sign up. I'm sorry to say the interest is just not there. He says all that to Dad. He's not looking at me anymore. That's okay, Dad says and squeezes my shoulder. She's happy to play wherever she's placed. She just wants to play. Yes, well, I'm afraid we don't register girls to play on the boys' teams. What? When they stop talking, I can hear the clock on the wall tick tick ticking. I hear someone walk past the closed door, a voice but no words, and more clicking of high-heeled shoes. I can hear my heart, too. It's beating hard and almost in sync with the ticking of the clock. What does he mean they don't register girls? I'm sorry, Dad says. We don't allow girls to play with the boys. 
I blink fast so my eyes can't fill up with tears. I'm too old to cry, too old to cry. Do not cry. Tick, tick, tick goes the clock. Boom, swish, boom, swish goes my heart and my ears. My throat hurts and I'm holding my teeth tight. I'm not smiling anymore, but my cheeks are prickling. What does he mean? Dad clears his throat and takes his hand off my shoulder. He puts both of his hands on the desk, pushing his palms against the blotter, his long fingers spread out. I don't quite understand, Mr. Hickman, why you would not allow my daughter to play. She's a good skater. Her mother is a figure skating coach. Tina has been on skates since she could walk. She's played hockey on the pond with kids for years, so she understands the game and is capable with a stick and a puck. She just wants to play on a team. Mr. Hickman holds his hand up, and Dad stops talking. Dad folds his hands together so tight the knuckles are white. He does that when he's getting angry, because he doesn't yell like some people do when they're mad. Mr. Hickman's smile is gone, and his eyes and mouth have an angry frown. An up-and-down line between his eyebrows is showing. I want to leave. The office is too small for the three of us if Mr. Hickman and Dad are both angry. But he won't take my registration paper. I'm not registered yet. We follow the rules of Nova Scotia Minor Hockey Council, Mr. Forbes, and the rules are quite clear that hockey is a sport for boys. I like the way Tina reads adults in that scene and and in the rest of the book. Uh, As an adult doing the writing, though, how much of a challenge is that to get inside the head of, in this case, a 10-year-old? Yeah, it was tricky. I had to go back to um, the whole discussion of show, don't tell, and and look through the book and see places where I said he was really angry or um, he didn't shake his hand and look at those intentions that are um, me telling the author or telling the reader and go back and say, what would that look like? And then what would that look like to a kid who isn't seeing all the messages? Because younger children don't see those messages right. all the time. Right. She's of the age. They just see the see what's happening. They yeah. don't necessarily know the interpretation. Uh, Tina's battle to play hockey doesn't occur in a vacuum. Uh, she's also dealing with a lot of other common challenges uh, for children who move. You know, they're leaving friends behind. They're trying to make new friends. Uh, she has the older sibling, JR. Uh, he's dealing with the same things. He's a pain in the neck for her. <laughs> uh, there are bullies at the school. What about those things? Are, are, are those things that would uh, perhaps allow young readers who aren't so interested in, in hockey uh, latch on to this book? Well, that's, yeah, that's what makes the story timeless. I mean, luckily, we're, we've moved on from then. Girls are allowed to play, obviously, and there's a girls' association. Girls play with the boys if they choose to. So um, those facts have all changed, um, but bullying and being ostracized and being misunderstood and dealing with changes in life, I mean, those things I don't think will ever go away. Um, so they're always relatable and certainly relatable to kids these days. Now, Tina is focused, uh, of course, on the unfairness of the league not letting her play hockey. Uh, But she also starts to note other roles that are foisted on her and other girls and not on boys. Right, right. So she notices such as cleaning blackboards, cleaning the blackboards, and and I, that actually came from my own kind of memories, remembering that in elementary school there were tasks that the girls were asked to do and tasks that the boys were asked to do, and I don't remember a girl ever being asked to go and fetch the janitor or go and fetch the principal. That was a a boy thing, and at the time I didn't think anything of it, um, but when I was trying to figure out how to kind of make this fight for to play hockey not stand out as the only thing going on and kind of show that there were inconsistencies in all the places that she was um, experiencing, that memory came up. So I was able to 
kind of toss that in. And, and the irony is it's brought up by one of the bullies. That's right. That's right. They, they <laughs> one like, of the male bullies. They like to uh, make sure people stay in their place, stay in their lane. This takes place in the late 70s, um, and there are lots of pop references from the era in there. Uh, Farrah Fawcett Major, uh, Atari, uh, the bionic woman. How will that play with kids uh, reading this book today? It, it's tricky because you want it to be um, realistic or, or placed in the time. So I did do a lot of research in terms of the 70s, and I had a lot of fun look at, looking back at it and figuring out what things I remembered. But then when we went through the editing process, one question came up is, would a child know what a wish book was? Um, right. So being able to increase or allow, have the reality there, but also have hints or comments that explain it without over-explaining it. Tina's very lucky to have a, a supportive coach and supportive parents, but she also sees adults in the community who don't see them and their efforts in a sympathetic way. Right. And uh, again, I guess an instance of of her reading adult behavior. Yes, and that those situations, I created the situations for the book because it is a novelization of her story. But in talking with Tina, that um, message was very clear. They thought that her father was a come from away who was using this as a motive to make a name for himself um, rather than her own um, need or want to accomplish something. Um, and they were quite critical of him uh, for a long time. And the coaches in the association, there really was only one coach that would accept her on his team um, and allow her to play with the with the, with his team. So that the the truth of those um, situations is there. So she becomes more and more aware of this, uh, I guess, systemic opposition to the idea of her playing hockey with, with boys, I guess, because there isn't a girls' league. And, and you know, very often she's brought to tears. Uh, very often she has a queasy stomach. Uh, why did you decide to insert that many references to, you know, her physical condition, how she was reacting physically to these things? Well, I try to, in all the books I've written, I try to look at the emotions because the situations might change. Um, as you said, someone doesn't have to fight to play hockey anymore, but someone can still have that internal feeling of what it feels like to be made fun of or to know that someone isn't being sincere. Um, so using the physiological responses to emotions is a way that I try to get readers to relate. You've felt this before. You might not have had an adult um, yell at you at a picnic, but you've felt this feeling before, and it makes the story relatable, even when the content isn't exact to what someone else has lived. Well, aside from being a writer, you're a speech-language pathologist. How much does that shape your approach to young characters in your books? Well, it certainly gives me the experience uh, with kids. Um, my guys are all mid-teenagers now, so I my 24-7 time with little kids has passed. But I was able to draw on some of the kids that I know through work um, to kind of fashion a 10-year-old. Uh, certainly lots of communication references in terms of um, how people communicate, what kind of languages people use at different la uh, different ages, and also things like facial expression, body language, that kind of stuff. All plays comes from my job. Um, one of my other books, uh, the character is actually autistic, um, and he was drawn from my understanding, kind of a composite of lots of the kids that I work with that are autistic, to make sure that his voice and his mannerisms were accurate. So, so your experiences through your work as a speech language pathologist really uh, enrich, I guess, your your development of characters. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you meet so many different people, and 
when you're working with communication, you get to see the communication, but you also get to learn the intent behind it. Um, so you can apply those kinds of, you recognize that if someone has this kind of intent, it might come out this way, um, when the words and the intent don't always match. Just finally, aside from Tina, were there any other real-life people you drew upon for this novel? Yeah, lots. Um, the story, actually, I heard it the first time in a dressing room. My daughter's coach was telling the girls the story at a tournament, basically telling them if this girl could fight that hard to get on the ice, they better bust their butts while they were playing. <laughs> um, and just recognizing that coaches are... Um, imperative to ch children's sports. And just the coach that Tina had in supporting her gave a huge contribution to her existence. And that continues today. The coaches that are coaching young kids today have a huge impact on where our kids go. I guess without the coach that Tina had, who, who really stood out, he was the only coach in the whole league who would take a, a girl on his team. Uh, aside from, from that, uh, if that, he hadn't been around, uh, it would have been just a legal battle. That's right. And she would have missed out on the experience. She did get to play while the legal battle was in process because that coach allowed her on the team. Um, and that allowed her to, to maintain her skills and stay in the community and change some minds and gave her all sorts of opportunities that the courtroom wouldn't have given her. And she does meet a very interesting lawyer. <laughs> That's right. Who uh, becomes something of a, maybe a role model for her? Yeah, she was created. Um, it, it was important to the story to have uh, a female lawyer that could relate to Tina's story. Um, and uh, sometimes I, I don't know. I worry that that's kind of hit over the head with her talk of being one of the few lawyers. But um, I think it's important for them to be able to relate to each other. And I guess the the other thing we find out during that that period in the book is. Tina getting adjusted to the, the time scale of adults and how long <laughs> it takes for things to happen. That's right. She thought that it would be done, you know, just talk to someone and it would be fixed, but that's not the way things work. Natalie, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on Thanks. the book. Thanks. Natalie Corbett-Sampson is the author of No Girls Allowed, inspired by the true story of a girl who fought for her right to play. It's published by Nimbus. To catch any or all of the conversations I've had with people who create books in Atlantic Canada, go to bookmepodcast.ca. Whenever we have a new interview ready, we post an alert on our Instagram account, at bookmepodcast, and share the word with everyone you know who's a reader. You can also rate or review our podcast on your favorite download site. And if you'd like to comment on a podcast like today's with Natalie, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Thanks to the Halifax Central Library for the use of its studio. Our producer is Robin Grant, and Lynn Fox is the only recording engineer I know who scored a hat trick in soccer. Seriously, I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Music